0: So, as Mel said um, just before, my name's Jess, um, and I'm used to um, introducing myself as the youth ministry pastor of Refresh, but I'm not anymore. That role has been now passed on to Joanna, so I'm just Jess now. Um, And yeah, welcome to Refresh if this is your first time. Um, I hope you guys have had a good week. A little bit of context, I've had a bit of a crazy week This week I've had to like move houses and if you guys have moved houses before out of a rental property might I just say and if you've ever done that before it's um, a pain in the bum and it was just crazy week. I just got to move into my new house yesterday and all yesterday night which was fun Um, and also my laptop broke at the start of the week so that was also another fun time but I do feel so privileged to be able to speak to you guys this morning, Um, and I'm preaching on something that's actually really close to my heart, and I know that it's close to a lot of your hearts as well. Um, And if you haven't been here over the past few weeks, we've been talking about the core values um, of our church community here at Refresh, Um, and we were privileged to have Gus speak to us on the first week, um, and he spoke to us about acts of kindness Um, and how we can be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. And then we had Sharon preach to us the next week, um, and she spoke to us about um, the importance of small groups and learning to do life together um, as we are a family here, um, and just the importance and the power of being able to do life together outside of Saturday mornings as well as on Saturday mornings. And then last week, Corbin preached to us about worshipping as a community together, which kind of tied into um, Sharon's talk about how just important it is to be able to do life together and worship Jesus together. And I have the privilege of speaking about um, mentoring and growing young. And in other words, growing the next generation to take over our positions once we are gone. Sorry, I was going to read. To take over our positions in the church once we are gone. And there's so much power about having young people on stage. And that's why I love... Our church so much because we have sown into the younger generation so much. We have multiple bands here that are full of um, younger people, school age kids, who in five years' time, once they're young adults, are going to be even better than the bands that we have now, who are full of adults. Although, Ms. Switchson, I mean, Clayton, your band was really awesome. I always love it when your band does worship. Um. Anyway, our church including me, because I guess I am still in the younger kind of age group. Um, And I feel it, and I know a lot of you probably feel it, but, like, I crave one-on-one mentoring from someone who's in an older generation who has gone before me and done it all before me. You know, the pastor can't mentor everyone as much as I'm sure you'd like to, Sean. And he he can't make disciples of everyone. And that's why um, what we do here is a family thing. We do it as a team. And it's a necessary thing to advance the kingdom of God. So why we're doing it is because Jesus tells us to. Next. Okay, I'm just going to tell you to do it. If you want to go to the next slide, Clayton. Thank you. Jesus literally tells us in the Bible to create disciples. In Matthew 28, 19, 20, if you want to grab your phones out of your Bibles or look on the screen, Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples. And I just want you to note that he doesn't say Go and convert people to Christ and then just leave them where they're at. He says, go and make disciples. Stay with them. Walk with them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus literally asks us to make disciples, each and every one of us. He calls us to understand and to remember that the kingdom of God is about people and that we are here not to build our own kingdoms, But we're here to bring the kingdom of God into other people's lives and to invest in them. I think a common misconception that people have about mentoring and the reason why probably a lot of us don't feel like we're doing it or don't want to do it um, is because they feel like we feel like we don't have anything to offer the next generation. Um, And some don't grasp hold of this opportunity because they themselves have never been mentored or trained or taught. So they don't understand the benefits or the power between having a mentor-mentee relationship. Um, And if you're one of those people who probably resonate with one of those, um, I really hope that today I try and um, that I break some of those mindsets and that you do really see the beauty in this relationship. Now, if you know my boyfriend Boston, you'll know that he is really crazy passionate. He asked me not to use the word obsessed. Passionate about cars. Like, I come from a family of three three sisters, so four girls. My dad has five sisters, my mom has three sisters. We're, we're, we're a girly family. Um, so I didn't really realize that people could have like proper conversations about engines and tires and suspension for like more than an hour. Um, and I recently went on an Uluru trip with him and some of our friends and I kid you not, every stopover we took, like made, just on the side of the road, um, Took like twice as long because him and Jordan Marshall um, and Matt Preston, sorry, and Matt Preston literally would stand around, open the hood, and just like look in awe at this mechanic engine thingy bob that's under the hood. They loved it. Anyway, so him and his friends have this weird theory that if you can't drive a manual car, and I'm sorry to all the automatic drivers, if you can't drive a manual car, you're pretty much lame. So, naturally, God blesses him with a girlfriend who has never driven a a manual car before and never got the opportunity to learn. Now, Boston is the best manual um, driver I know. I don't get whiplash in his car like I do with some other people. Um, But he tried to teach me multiple times. He's tried to teach me multiple times how to drive. Um, And usually, our conversation in the car will go a little bit like this. You know, he'll... I'll get into the driver's seat, and I'll start going, and he'll tell me what to do. We'll be on the road. He'll tell me what to do, and I'll just freak out, like brain closes down, freak out, don't know what to do. He'll be like, Jess, just, just put it in, like, what is it, neutral shift one gear or something. Put the clutch in, and I'll be like, I'll just yell at him, be like, Boston, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm s- what the heck is happening? And he'll literally just turn to me and he's like, sweet, calming voice, Jess, just, just calm down we can start again, it's okay, like, just put it in neutral, we'll go into one again, and that infuriates me even more, because what girl wants to be told to calm down, not me, so I yell at him, get angry, get really frustrated, don't know what, like, I'm, I'm annoyed at myself, because I don't know what I'm doing, I'm annoyed at him, because he can't show me how to do it properly, um, even though he is, and this is just what happens for about five minutes, until I go, that's it, I quit, I hate this, not doing this anymore, I'm gone, and uh, most often than not, it's actually n- when you're learning something new. If you guys have ever learned learn something new, you'll understand. Um, when you're learning something new, it's not actually about the skills of the person who's teaching you. It's how patient they are with you and whether they are willing to stick by your side when you get a bit difficult, aka me, difficult all the time. Will they stay with you while you're going through that annoying learning phase or just tell you what to do and leave you? Now, Boston was great because he's really passionate. Um, passionate patient with me which is what I need and he literally still nags me every day to get in the car um, and try to learn how to drive a manual even though he knows what will probably happen um, when he does try and teach me and he'll, he knows the benefits that I will that I will benefit from it once I learn um, and he knows that I will get it one day and I know that I'll get it one day but it's just like this journey okay and it's sticking with it and being patient and making mistakes and keeping going. And this is really, this is really similar to our mentoring. Um, this is really similar to mentoring someone spiritually. You could be the best spokesperson in the world. You could be great at leading a team and know what to do logically behind the scenes. But if you are not personal and aren't willing to stick with people who constantly mess up, we you know, we're, we're humans, we will constantly mess up and we will make mistakes. But if you're not willing to stick with them by all of that, you will miss out on being a part of some of the greatest leaders of all time's journey. All of us are qualified in this room to mentor. It's whether we want to put in the effort. That's the question. And, you know, we're lucky enough. Obviously, I'm not super advanced and don't have heaps of experience. Um, but we're lucky enough to have someone who does, and that's Jesus. And he's a perfect example to help us understand who to mentor. Um, and today we're going to dive into the relationship between him and Peter. If you just want to go to the next slide. Um, Relationship between him and Simon Peter. Um, So who was Jesus? I mean, who was Peter? Out Simon, because that's Simon's name before Jesus met him. Who was Simon before he met Jesus? So he starts this journey. um, They start this journey together in Matthew chapter 4, where we see Jesus calling him and his younger brother, think he was a younger brother, um, to cast their nets into the lake, and this is where they start this whole journey, and then he says, come and follow me. I don't know if you guys have researched much into Peter, but he was a fisherman by trade, um, and if you read the Gospels, you'll find that he's actually quite impulsive, and his flaws were quite obvious, um, and he was definitely driven by his feelings, which, which I resonate by because I also am driven by my feelings. Um, A fisherman back then was pretty much like a man's man. He was stereotypically a hard worker. Like, let me just paint the picture for you. You know, built for hard physical labor. You know, he's probably quite rough and masculine. um, Maybe not educated. um, So, they just go back to what their father's, like, their father's trade and follow in the footsteps. Usually, they're, like, quite unafraid of people and the sea. um, And, honestly, like, language on the boat probably wasn't great. And I like to think um, that they were... the the tradies of that time back then um you know built for hard labor pretty much and I think this is so beautiful because Jesus literally went out and sought after just ordinary people who others like you and me would not take two glances at he didn't go for the stereotypical leader he looked for the ordinary people Jesus knew that everyone needed a mentor, not just the cool people who seem like they can talk on stage or sing and all that. Everyone needs a mentor, you and me. There's something very powerful about starting with someone who doesn't even see the qualities in themselves that you see. And, you know, even in this room, there are so many incredible skills and qualities to build the kingdom and make this world a whole lot better. Um, Sometimes we just don't recognize it in ourselves. So when Jesus called Peter... Um, and said, come follow me, he didn't give him a list of things to start changing about himself, to make him into the certain disciple that he wanted straight away. He just said, follow me. He took them as they were, rough and willing. The only thing that Jesus did change was his name, which I'll speak about later. Um, I think a really important step in mentoring and what Jesus showed us is it's letting them walk beside you as they are, or even doing that next step further and walking beside them um, as they were, as they are. And this is something that Jesus recently pulled out of me. Um, if you know me, you'll know that I'm quite choleric, meaning bossy and likes things done my way. Um, I like being in charge and having control of situations. And sometimes that leaks into my personal relationships, which is actually really dangerous. So I tend to tell people how to be instead of just letting them be. You know, my mum is one of my greatest mentors of all time, um, I love her relationship with Jesus. She's the most beautiful woman that I've ever met. The way that she speaks about him literally gets me excited to read my Bible and to be in a relationship with him. And we had this conversation the other day that led to me having a revelation um, while I was driving with, um, driving in the car. And she told me how she was in this stage of life where she, every single morning, would get up and she would ask the Holy Spirit to come and to reveal to her the wickedness in her heart. So I thought, oh, awesome, let me try that. Um, Careful what you pray for, guys. And so I tried it, and I found some things that I really hated about myself um, that I wasn't happy about. You know, who I was, my human tendencies, it really broke my heart. Um, And something that Jesus, like, just nailed into me was he wanted us to love people as they are. And it seems like such a simple thing, um, but I feel because some of us, like me, like to control situations, we pass over the fact that when you try and control someone or tell them how to be, it isn't letting them be how they are, that isn't loving people as they are. And let's be a little bit real here because you guys are like my second family. Um, My beautiful little sister um, is going through a really rough time at the moment, um, and she I guess it's just falling into worldly things like most 18-year-olds do. Um, And for a long time, I didn't know how to handle it. And my family didn't know how to handle it. And as the older sister, I look back at how I treated her and what I said to her. And I should have been someone who she could have trusted. And I wish that I was someone that she could look up to and run to. And that's a big thing. I wish I was someone that she could run to um, when she needed help. And you know what? I broke her heart many times the words I said, the actions that I did, being all high on my high stool as a Christian. Because I was trying to make her into someone she didn't know how to be. And our relationship is still on the mend because of the stuff that I said to her. And this is something that I'm still learning, and I'm sure you guys are still learning this as well. When you mentor someone, or you are a a person that someone looks up to, when you speak out against something that they're doing, you open your mouth and you start like, you're doing this, you shouldn't do this, you tell them your opinion without them asking, you're probably undoing something that the Holy Spirit is trying to do in their life already. You know, the Holy Spirit, it's his job to transform hearts. transform hearts, And the Holy Spirit will start disturbing their shalom, which is their peace. And when that happens and when the questions start rolling in, as someone that they look up to and trust, you'll be there to answer their questions and to point them back to Jesus. And that was something that I never realized and I didn't know for a long time. I wish I knew it back then when she started this whole journey. You know, it's not our heart to transform. uh, It's not our job to transform the heart of others. As humans, we take on that responsibility when we shouldn't. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And all we do, all we need to do is pray for them because spiritual, spiritual things like that need spiritual remedies. So we can pray for them and all we need to do is stand beside them, help them learn and grow and understand in the season that they're going, to, um, going through and point them towards Jesus. If you just want to go to the next slide. So who was Peter when he was with Jesus? So now he knows him and he's following Jesus. And something that's really funny is Peter didn't change automatically when he met Jesus. In church, I think some of us believe that putting, you know, our hand up for an altar call or accepting Jesus into our lives—that that's it—and we think just because someone says they love Jesus, that they're perfect and fine, and that couldn't be f- more like further away from the truth. It doesn't work like that. It's—it's it's like signing up. Oh, I tried to be cool and use like a basketball metaphor. Um, it's like signing up for a basketball team and there being no coach, no game plan, no one to fall back on, no one to ask advice of. Um, no one to show you how to do things or where to go. It just doesn't work like that. You need someone to help you through the journey. It's an ongoing journey in battle. And even when it comes to Jesus, we will run away and hide from him and go against his word. But he still draws near to us to give us that opportunity to come close to him. And he's a perfect, exa- a perfect example of forgiveness and patience. So, anyway, Jesus calls Simon to follow him and changes his name from Simon to Peter, which means rock. And usually, when you think of a rock, you think stable, sturdy, unmovable, level headed, all that stuff. This couldn't like, this is not what Peter was at all. Because Jesus saw something in Peter that Peter would never see in himself. He got the opportunity to name him that and thus starting their journey together. Jesus, um, Jesus started calling out of Peter the strength from the beginning. And there's a difference between standing back and watching someone and seeing that they have potential to do something and maybe throwing them into a role. And then there's speaking something over their life, naming what you see and sowing that seed. It's really powerful. When I was in 10th grade, um, I used to go to a church called C3. Um which was a Sunday Pentecostal church. And I got into, that's when I got into youth leadership. And my incredible youth pastor, her name is Faye, um, she did this for me. And I kind of knew what leadership was because I was captain of a lot of my futsal teams and soccer teams, and I was middle school leader here um, in grade nine. So I knew what it meant to be a leader. Um, but I didn't realize that it wasn't just, come on, put on your hat for one day as a leader and then leave it once you've done your duties. It's actually a lifestyle. And my, f- my youth pastor, she took me along with her on this cool, awesome, crazy journey um, where she'd literally just ask me to come along and do everyday tasks with her. Like she'd come pick me up from my house and take me to do her grocery shopping with her. Um, and then would go out for food afterwards. We had picnics at her house, and she just invested in my life um, along some of so, um, alongside some of my best friends who are now leaders in their workplace and at the churches they attend. And, you know, I made a lot of mistakes. I was 16 years old. Like, she probably had quite, quite a few facepalm moments with me, um, and I probably annoyed her quite a lot, Where she had to, and she had to clean up my mess quite a lot. Like I said, I was only 16, probably 15, probably 14. Let's say 14. Um, And I remember her explaining to me the importance of including others. And um, when I was in that grade at church, I started this really cool gang. um, It was called The Wolf Pack. I started with my best friend, Sarah Ryan. And we would approach only the coolest people at church, a.k.a. the kids who had parents who were doing stuff in the church, all the families who, like, were actually at church every week. But only approach the coolest people, the best-looking girls, best-looking guys. It was really horrible. I don't know what was going through my head when we did it. Um, and we stopped hanging out with other people because we were just so obsessed with this, like, wolf pack, yeah, yeah, the gang, um, and this whole, f- like, stigma around having a tight-knit group of people who that was only for the people that we liked. Um and we didn't realize at the time that it was actually really poisoning our youth group and our youth ministry. Um, people felt left out and forgotten. I don't know if you felt that before, but it sucks. It really sucks. Um, and instead of yelling at us, which honestly, I would have, taken, I would have just taken me aside and yelled at me. Um, but sh- instead of yelling at us, she came up beside us and she guided us away from this exclusive group mentality. She helped me realize how, um, how it was making other people feel um, without making us feel like the enemy. But, of course, we felt guilty um, because that was the Holy Spirit in us, um, working as our conscience, telling us that it was actually wrong what we were doing. She did live with me. She taught me, like I, kept on, like I kept on saying, she taught me to be a leader in my own friendship circles, to use my influence for good and not bad. Um, And she used to tell me all the time things like, Jess, you're influential. Jess, you'll lead people to Christ. Um, And she spoke that over my life. And I'm so grateful for her faith in me because I wouldn't be where I am today without that. We go back to the story of Peter and Jesus. And we see Peter messes up so many times. Like, I feel like he's the disciple that we all know messes up heaps. Um, He stopped believing in Jesus' power when he walked on water. And he began to sink, even though he had seen Jesus do countless miracles, um, he hurt the high priest's servant's ear in the Garden of Gethsemane um, in John 18, um, when the soldiers came to take Jesus away. And just a little side note, I didn't know this um, until I was talking to my mom about it, Um, but he probably just wasn't any servant, because we just think he was just another soldier or servant but he was the high priest servant. So he wasn't any just old run-of-the-mill bloke. He was, like, still in a high position, and he, he was probably training or learning to become a priest in the temple. Um, and I feel like um, there's research saying that Peter sliced off his right ear because you can't be disform- um, disformed. What word did I use? Um You can't be disformed when you want to be a priest in the temple. So by cutting off the ear, he was pretty much saying, you can't become a priest. It was quite a malicious act of him. He was ruining someone else's life because they were taking Jesus away from him. Um, and obviously, he was in a moment where he was scared and angry um, as they were taking Jesus away. But it was quite a mean thing to do. And that kind of just shows how angry he could become. And he darn messed up. Um, and Jesus then picked up the severed ear and put it back on the servant's um, face. But the big one that everyone always talks about is the denial. And that's one that we all kind of know about. When Jesus told Peter that he would deny him, um, and then Peter did. And if you just want to go to the next slide. I will read it to you. If you guys want to grab out your Bibles, it's in Luke twenty-two fifty-four onwards. And it says, Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. Next slide. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. And Peter said to him, man, I am not. Like, pretty generic, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another one said, certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned to him, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter, like looked him in the eye. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Like, that's just so rough. And the bit that gets me is when Jesus, like, turns to him and just looks at him after he did this horrible thing. And he just knew he did something wrong. It's like when your dog does something wrong, and he just, like, kind of hangs his head. And you just know. I can't imagine the emotions in Jesus' eyes then. Um For once Peter denied Jesus, it was almost like something in him died. He was no longer that rock that Jesus called out of him. He was like sand, not strong in faith. So he went outside and wept bitterly. And I don't know if you've ever done this before, but when you hurt someone that you love, it hurts. It's like another kind of hurt. And I can just imagine him crying out. Um, Crying out, you know, in pain and in sorrow. When you do something shameful, and I want to, if you just want to go to the next slide. When you do something shameful, you tend to run back to your old ways of life. Even if in the end result, um, even if the end result came to pass, the thing that you wanted to happen, it's the guilt that you feel and the shame about the mistake you made um, that turns you back. And I can imagine Peter just feeling so many mixed emotions, you know, um, as the story goes on as Jesus um, rises again and reveals himself to the disciples. I can imagine him feeling like excited um, about Jesus being alive. Yet once, like realizing that he had denied him, and then feeling that black cloud of guilt again, um, guilt again. And it says in John twenty one, after this Jesus reveal um, after this Jesus revealed himself to the disciples by the sea, and he revealed himself in this way. All the disciples were on a boat together, or well, all together, and Simon Peter says, "Guys, I'm going to go out and fish." And they all said, okay, we'll go with you. And then that night they caught nothing. But Peter, I want you to know, Peter went back to fishing. He returned to his old ways. He went back to do what Jesus called him out of doing originally. He was to be a fisher of men, not a fisher of fish. And that's what we do. We return to what's comfortable. And that's um, that's something that we tend to do when we're ashamed. And it's not like he hadn't seen Jesus yet. This was the third time that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples in different ways. So Peter knew Jesus was alive. But again, it doesn't get rid of that guilt that we feel when we do something. Peter messed up big time. And something like he did, obviously in different ways, stuff that he, something like that breaks families apart and tears friendships apart. And, you know, we're taught as a society, if someone hurts you, drop them. Yet, Jesus is here, coming back to forgive Peter. Jesus forgave Peter even before he denied him. He knew what Peter did. He literally told Peter what he was going to do. Yet, if we continue on in this chapter, it says, so that if you want to go to the yeah. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. So he called out to them, friends, how are you going? How are you? Going? any fish. And no, they said. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did that, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple who Jesus loved, John, told Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and went for, um, went for Jesus. Jesus is here telling them to throw the nets on the other side, blessing them, calling him back calling them back to him. And I encourage you to read the rest of the story because it leads to this beautiful moment where Jesus reaches out to the wounded, hurt, and ashamed friend, Peter. And Jesus went and spoke to him first, asking him whether Peter loves Jesus, whether Peter loves him. Um, And you know what? Like I said before, Peter would have felt so ashamed. He was facing the person he offended, the one he denied, the one he rejected. And Jesus didn't ask him for an apology he didn't look at him and said, "And say, I told you so, Peter. He just spoke with him, asking him, asking Peter if he had loved him. As a mentor, as a guide, and as a teacher, as a helper, we need to learn not to just drop someone because they made a mistake or scold them because they did something stupid. People will mess up. It's inevitable. It's a way of life. Even when you think you're making progress with someone or something, something's going to come and set you back. It's what you do after the mess, the mess up, that will alter the course of their existence. You know, if Pete, um, Jesus had just left Peter to start back in his old ways, he wouldn't have been this great apostle Peter that we um, know now who pretty much started the early church. We need to be able to forgive the way Jesus forgave us. Forgiveness, I like to say, is an official, unofficial fruit of the Spirit. If you want to go to the next slide. So who was Peter once Jesus ascended into heaven? And this is really cool because after Jesus restored him, and it wasn't until he, had, he went back to heaven to be with God, that Peter almost fully leapt into his potential as a disciple. And on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit made known his presence in the disciples, Peter, for the first time, stood up among his brothers and spoke with boldness and conviction to the crowds of thousands, bringing them the good news of Jesus and also convicting um, and converting a lot of them to the cause of Jesus. And this is how he spent nearly the rest of his life. Of course, he still made mistakes and probably had a lot, of, a lot of things went pear-shaped for him. But I honestly don't think he cared because he knew that his home would be in heaven and that he was doing so much more, so many more greater things um, than just focusing on what's happening to himself now he's known as one of the greatest men in our church. Peter was better, might I just say, after Jesus left. Praise God for the Holy Spirit because if you want to go to the next slide. Because Jesus left the Holy Spirit for us as a helper and le- um, as a helper and left the Holy Spirit for Peter and the disciples. It says in John 14, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the work I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to be with the Father. John 16, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but I will go. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus left this incredible gift for us, the Holy Spirit. To help us with life, to help to be our conscious as we go through life and to stir our peace when we're doing things wrong. The last thing that I want to inspire you um, to do today is to, when you are leading someone or when you're helping someone, to leave, um, to strive to lead them so when you leave them, they are better than you. I want, you in, I want to inspire you to, do this, yeah, to lead the next generation so when we leave, not only would they understand and utilize the Holy Spirit, but we need to strive to leave them better than us, more equipped, spirit-filled, and passionate about the bride of Christ. We need to leave them with experiences, um, with experience, full stop, and show them how to be patient so when it's their turn to mentor, they will be better than us. And through that, we will naturally be rewarded and blessed mutually as well, because we're investing in others' life. I just wanted to finish off by saying that this relationship between Jesus and Peter is a relationship that he also wants to have with us. Jesus loves us like the way he loved Peter, and he forgives us, and he stands by us, and he extends his grace to us. No one in this room will ever be too far gone. You know, his mercy will always triumph over justice. And I really hope that Learning and seeing this example of mentorship um, will make you guys start thinking about maybe investing in the lives of the younger generation here. And we've got so many opportunities here at church. You can um, help out in young adult ministries, kids ministries, Pathfinders Connect Connect group. If you don't know how to, join one of those teams and we will walk beside you and teach you so that you can teach others. And my dream for our church and for my generation, is that we would all be mentored so that we can be passionate about mentoring the next generation who are a lot of your kids. We will be the mentors for them. Um, and I just pray that that cycle goes on and on. Um, so as I finish, I'd just like you guys to all bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray. God, thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Um, and for what you're doing in our lives right now, what you've done and what you will be doing. We love you so much, God, and I just want to thank you for this opportunity to come to church um, and to learn about you and to learn about the relationships that you had while you were on earth. You were such a good and loving Father, and we thank you that you sent your Son as a role model for us. Um, And I just pray as we go out and we you know, get our kids and we go to work and we go back home to our families and to school, Lord, that you'll give us opportunities to mentor those around us um, and not only lead them to Christ and convert them, but to just walk alongside them, Lord, help us love those in our lives who maybe do things that we don't agree with, Lord, I just pray that you help us love them for who they are and that the Holy Spirit will convict them of um, the things that they're doing, Lord, so that they can run back to us and just um, come back home to you, Lord. We love you so much. You are good. You are so, so good. Um, Be with us for the rest of this Sabbath day. In Jesus' mighty name, we all said.